you can't seemingly go like one scroll through social media anymore, for those of you who have social media, through Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or even on YouTube videos ever since the rise of COVID without certain videos on YouTube or certain posts on social media being flagged for certain reasons. And one of the reasons that is flagged nowadays is by these things called fact checks. Like, oh, this, watch out for this video because it provides misinformation. And there's this huge rise ever since COVID being a thing, which I guess it is still a thing, just been less so, where everything now that you mention about COVID, there's this block underneath the YouTube videos that says, oh, well, this has been, this might be some misinformation. So here, click this website and learn the truth about this topic. They do it on Facebook. They do it on Instagram. There's so much this search for truth that even the government created this thing called um, the Disinformation Governance Board. And so this subset of the Department of Homeland Security, which the Homeland Security is meant to try to keep us safe as United States citizens, and the purpose behind it is to keep us safe by stopping misinformation spread around. So lies that people might propagate on the internet, whether it's through videos or through posts, they say, hey, we want to crack down on lies and people believing all these lies just through social media. So we're going to have a group of people to track down, and some people that get paid like 60000 plus a year whose sole job is to search the internet, find people that are saying false things, and flag it and say, watch out, this is misinformation, you shouldn't listen to these things. And while these policies, unfortunately, haven't always been enacted in genuine and, and true faith and how they should be, I at least understand and can respect the premise behind it. I can at least respect and say, hey, they don't want a bunch of lies out there on the internet and people thinking that lies are true and that true things are actually lies because we people who believe in the truth should be ones who emphasize the truth and say, hey, if there are lies out there, we, should, we shouldn't be lying. But God says not to lie. We should be promoting the truth. And it says, hey, if there are claims out there that are misleading, that don't have evidence to back it up, that are kind of outlandish claims, we want to say, hey, don't listen to this. This is misinformation. We need to check it and say, no, this isn't true. Well, guess what? The Bible makes some outlandish claims. The Bible makes some crazy claims that we're going to talk through in this sermon series. And the one that we're going to talk about today is that the Bible claims to be from God. The Bible claims to be God's word. Now, in some people's minds, what's going in their mind is, fact check, fact check, fact check, whoa, 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 whoa. How do you know that the Bible is from God? How do you know the Bible is God's word? Oh, there's no evidence for the Bible being God's word. How can we trust that the Bible is God's word? As you get older, as you continue in junior high, high school and college, and there are going to be people out there who say, oh, you believe the Bible is from God? Oh, you're crazy. That's like you believing in the tooth fairy. Oh, yeah, just some made-up thing that we came up. Oh, yeah, you put your teeth underneath a pillow, and when you wake up, the tooth disappears, and you get some money. Oh, that's the same thing. You believe there's a God out there that gave us a book, and that we're supposed to read this book and follow what it says by a God out there? Yeah, that's like a tooth fairy. That's like Santa Claus. It's not true. Now, if someone came up to you and says, hey, you believe that the Bible is from God, let's check that. How do you know that's true? would you have a response? What would your response think in your mind if someone says, oh, you say the Bible is from God? How do you know that? 
isn't the Bible, as the title of the sermon says, just put together by a bunch of just random people throughout history? How do we know it's from God? 3,800 times in the Bible, it says, God said, or thus says the Lord, or some version of that. So over 3,000 times does the Bible say, this is what God says. 43 times in the New Testament, the phrase, the word of God appears. So all throughout scripture, it says, this is from God. Well, the Bible was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors. So how do we know it was from God? Now, you thinking in your mind right now, you might say, uh, it, it, it just is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but could we say why? That's what I want us to know today, why we can know that the Bible is God's word. You need to be ready to defend why the Bible is the word of God, in fact. And the passage that we're going to look at today in the book of 2 Peter is going to give us the answer to the question. So open up your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1, and let's understand why we can trust that the Bible is actually the word of God. That this isn't just some fairy tale, some made-up story that was invented by some people thousands and thousands of years ago, but that we can trust, no, the words that we read and that we study every single week in this book called the Bible, we can trust this is from God's word. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16, in defending the belief, Simon Peter says this, verse 16, Second Peter 1, 16. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Simon Peter is going out there preaching. He's telling other people about Jesus. And he says, this thing that we make known to you, that we preach, that we proclaim to you, which specifically here he's talking about the second coming of Christ, Christ coming again. He's saying, these things that we say are not just cleverly devised myths. It's not just these things that we invented in our minds. It wasn't some fairy tale that, oh yeah, that, uh, I had this idea and that's why I'm just gonna write it down. It wasn't this thing that they made up. No, rather, he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. St. Peter says, hey, I saw Jesus with my own eyes. I was a witness there. I saw him. I witnessed specifically of his majesty. Talks about that more in verse 17. It says, for when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, saying this, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Saying, hey, there was a time when I witnessed, literally to see with my own eyes, I saw Jesus in his glory. When he was in his full glory and he was receiving honor and that a voice came out of heaven that says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Well, let's think about it. When did this take place? When did Jesus show his full honor and his full glory in his first coming? Maybe a Stories come to your mind when you think of when Jesus was up on the mountain with Peter, Simon Peter, James, and John, and the transfiguration appeared. You guys remember that story? Where Jesus up on the mountain said, hey, I know I came down and put on flesh. I came in human form, but guess what? I'm going to show you just a glimpse of my full glory, a glimpse of my full power. And even how it's described specifically as I think in Mark chapter 9 and other of the synoptic gospels is how his face shone bright and brilliantly. And it was, whoa, it was an incredible thing that they saw. And as they're seeing Jesus in just a glimpse of his glory, and it's hard for them to even describe what they're seeing, just something 
amazing. This voice came out of heaven as he writes in 2 Peter saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So Peter here is saying, hey, I have confidence that Jesus is going to come again, not because I made it up. Jesus said he's going to come again. And guess what? I saw in person a glimpse of his full glory. I saw it. I was there. Verse 18, for we heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Say, hey, not only did I get to see him, I was an eyewitness. I was also an ear witness in the sense of I heard this voice come out of heaven. I saw it with my own two eyes. I heard it with my own two ears. I saw this miraculous event took place. When we talk about how do we know the Bible is from God, first we need to know how can we know anything is from God. In order to know anything about God, God has to reveal himself to us. Take this for example. What if I told you, or not what if I told you, what if I asked you, what's in my left pocket? In my right pocket, I've got my phone. In my left pocket, I've got my keys, and I've got something else. What if I said, what is in my left pocket? Like, uh, okay, a wallet, you think? A, a ring, cough drop. You're like, oh, I'm not... Not sure what's in my, my left pocket. What would be the only way for you to say, I know for 100% certainty what's in Nathan's left pocket? What would be the only way? Yeah. Is if I pulled out from my left pocket and I said, here's what's in my left pocket. You guys never really want to know what's in my left pocket. Some of the guys who were in the service last night know it's a cop drop. So, but the only reason, guess what, that they knew is because last night I pulled out my left pocket and guess what? It was a cough drop. In order for us to know anything about God at all, God has to do what? Reveal it to us. This thing called revelation. And I want us to understand how God reveals things to us. Point number one, you need to understand how God reveals things. And we're going to talk specifically things that are true, how God reveals truth to man. I know this is a lot of things to write down, but revealing things is this thing that we call revelation. I know Revelation is not just the last book of the Bible, which if you think about what is the book of Revelation about, well, God revealing what's going to be when? The end times. What's going to happen in the end times? God's showing us, hey, this is what's going to happen in the end times. Same thing. To know anything about God, write down that definition of revelation, God revealing certain truths about himself that, guess what? Were previously unknown. This is the first part of what we would call bibliology, studying and understanding how we got the Bible. How do we got it? Well, first we got to know how does anything come from God? Well, God has to reveal things that first we didn't know. He does this first, he does this through a couple avenues. First thing is general revelation, which are things that God has revealed to all mankind, general revelation. There's going to be a lot of things to write down because these are very important. There's going to be people coming up to saying, how can you know that the Bible is from God? How can you trust the Bible? We're going to talk, and this is what we're getting into, how we can trust this from God. Well, God has revealed things to us first through general revelation, which are things that God has revealed to all mankind, to all mankind. First way through general, first part of general revelation is things that God has revealed about himself in 
creation or in nature. Things that God has revealed about himself in creation and nature. Think about creation. Who is that accessible to? Every single person. Every single person. And by nature of God creating things, he has revealed certain truths about himself. He has shown us certain things about himself. Psalm 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. It says, hey, just by looking at the heavens, just by looking at the sky above, you can see the design of God. You can see God's handiwork on display. You can see it naturally. It's like, well, our words used by, is it like you look at creation and then like the tree talks back to you? Yeah, it was made by God. It's like, no, that, that's not what happens. But by nature of seeing the design of creation, we learn things and can know things about our creator, God. Well, what can we learn about God? Well, we can learn about God's power. Think about it. Look at creation in general. Imagine you're out in Joshua Tree, pitch black out, no smog. You look up in the sky and you see all these tons of stars up and you're like, okay, I'm going to start counting them. I'm like, one, two, three. Then you fall asleep because it's boring counting stars. It's like counting sheep. Um, you fall asleep. But just seeing the vast expanse of all the stars in the sky, it's like, whoa. Well, did this happen from just random chance? It's like, well, it seems kind of organized Seems like there's a function to this world that we live in. Doesn't seem like it just was like tossing a bunch of Scrabble letters in a bag and rolling it out, and then you get like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. No, it seems as if there was someone who intentionally made this thing. And by nature of seeing creation, we say, hey, there's a God, and we can see his design on display, that our God is powerful to create all these things. I mean, think about being at the ocean, and Maybe you're in Hawaii and you see like these 10-foot waves crashing on the shore. Just about, or maybe you're, you're skimboarding or boogie boarding out and a wave comes and takes you and just smacks you on the ground. You're like, okay, that, that hurt. Like, have you ever been beaten up by a wave before? Like, it's painful. Like, I've got taken up sometimes and then just like drop straight down on my head. And you're like, come out of it. You're like, okay, I need to take a break on the sand. It's like, that's hurt. Just by nature of looking at creation, you can see that God's design and we can learn that God is powerful, that there is a God that exists, and this God is powerful. He's intelligent. We can see the weightiness and the significance of God. Romans 1.19 talks more about the things that we can know about God just by creation. Romans 1.19 says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. It's like, how do we know things about God? Well, God has to show it to them. Well, what has he shown? Verse 20, it says, for his invisible attributes, so certain characteristics about God can be known. So specifically, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Saying, hey, because of the things that have been made, creation, we can know God's eternal power, that God's a powerful God, and, that, and his divine nature, that there is a God out there. We can know certain truths about God in creation, but creation isn't the extent of God's general revelation, not the extent of it. It's a part of it. It's an aspect of it, but we can't know the full breadth about God just in creation. Next part of general revelation is in providence, in providence, through what God gives to us. 
We can learn certain things about God through his providence, what he gives to us. In Acts 14, there are these individuals who are worshiping idols. They're worshiping these false gods. The writer calls them out and says, why are you worshiping these false gods? Can't you see the one true God on display? And the reason why he gives, hey, don't you know the one true God is on display? Is because in verse 17 of Acts 14, it says, yet he, God, did not leave himself without witness. It's like, hey, you can know witness. You can know certain things about God. Well, how can we know certain things about God? Well, for he did good, it says, by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness saying, hey, you can know certain things about God just by nature of him providing you with rain. Think about it. These farmers out there growing their crops. It's like, what can we learn about God by him giving us rain? Well, what's the only way for crops to grow? Is if there's rain. And by the very fact of God giving these farmers rain, we can learn that, hey, God is good. That God cares about the people that are on this earth or else guess what? There could be no rain. There could be times, and there's been times in biblical history where God says, hey, there's going to be no more rain for a period of time. Just by nature of God giving us rain, we can learn certain truths about God. God is the creator, but God cares for us. God is good. And we know that God is in charge. Daniel 2.21 talks about how God is the one who's in charge of setting up kings and rulers. God's the one who's in charge of all of that. Just by nature of God's providence, by raising up certain leaders and putting down other leaders, we can see God's the one in control. He's certain truths. Next part of general revelation, we've got creation. We've got his providence. We also have our conscience. Our conscience. That thing within us that no matter whether someone tells us what's right or wrong, we know in our heart of hearts, oh man, this is right. Or oh man, what I'm doing is wrong. We know within our hearts what is right or wrong. That's a truth we can know about God, what God wants us to do and what God doesn't want us to do. Just by nature of conscience, that's written on our hearts. Romans 2 verses 14 says, for when Gentiles, so these people who didn't believe in God, who do not have the law, they don't have the Bible, but by nature, they do what the law requires. So these people don't have the Bible, don't have the law, but guess what? They're naturally living in accordance with what the Bible says. Well, it's like, well, how can they just be doing that? If they don't have the Bible, how can they naturally be doing what the Bible wants? Verse 15 says, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. Every single human being has a conscience within them that is, tells them inherently what is right or what is wrong. Is it perfect? No. Can it be stained? Absolutely. People can wear down their consciences over time. But naturally born within every single person, we have this inclination of what's right, what's wrong. That's why maybe you can think of in your life, when you've had the inclination to do something, maybe something that you shouldn't do, and have you ever had that feeling in your heart where it's like, I know I shouldn't do that. Ah, I know it's wrong. And then sometimes you just say, well, whatever. And then you just do it anyways. Or you're like, okay, I'm not going to do it. But you've got that little ting inside where you're like, oh, I, I shouldn't do that. You guys have experienced that before, right? Like, oh, I don't know if I should do that. Ooh, 
guess what? That's God's law written on our hearts. The way that God has revealed what is right and what is wrong by giving us a conscience. So we can know certain things about God just by things he's given to all mankind. Creation, providence, conscience. Well, a second category of how God has revealed himself to us is not just general revelation, but special revelation, which is truth that God has revealed directly to specific people. God has revealed directly to specific people. Well, why does God need to do this? Well, if God didn't reveal himself directly to specific people, there would be no way for us to know how to be made right with God. Would you be able to look at the sunset and say, wow, there's a God out there that is in charge of how this sunset is working? Yeah, you can know that just by looking at the sunset. But would you be able to find out just by looking at the sunset, wow, I'm a sinner. I'm I'm deserving of going to hell. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I need to repent and put my trust in Jesus. Just by looking at the sunset. Not possible. (laughs) Can't just look at general revelation and say, oh, I know the extensiveness of God's nature. That's why he needed to give us special revelation to know God more fully to know how to be made right with God and also how to live a life that is pleasing to God. That's why he revealed himself specifically and directly to certain individuals. One way that he has done this is in scripture. God's special revelation is revealed one in scripture, which we call the living word of God. Living word of God. God has revealed himself directly and to specific individuals. And he's done this in different ways in biblical history. Sometimes he does this through directive acts, which is through God speaking audibly to a certain individual. Think of Moses in the burning bush. You know that story? Where God, through the burning bush, spoke audibly to Moses, telling him, hey, I want you to go to that place in Egypt. And this is what I want you to do. Oh, well, I don't want to go. No, you're going to go. Okay, fine, I'll send Aaron with you. You got God speaking directly to them. I mean, even think about the transfiguration that we looked at in Second Peter, where Jesus, we see a full glimpse of his glory, and a voice audibly comes out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That's an act of God's special revelation. God revealing directly to specific people, whether it's Moses or to the apostles, hey, this is something that you need to know directly from God. It can be through directive acts. It can be through dreams. You've got visions as well. Isaiah chapter 6, you see Isaiah has a vision of God in all of his glory. You see Daniel, see this vision of the writing of the wall in the book of Daniel. You've got these, John, when he writes the book of Revelation, Revelation is a vision that he sees where God specially reveals truth about himself pertaining to the end times that John then writes down. God has specially revealed himself in certain ways. Does that mean that we today need to think, oh man, man, what, what vision am I going to see? Whoa. Oh man, I had a dream last night. God got, man, I had a, I had a weird dream last night where like I, I did this crazy thing. Wow, God must be trying to say, say something to me. We'd say, ah, be careful about that because throughout history, God has done this special revelation to specific people. Those people, prophets and the apostles. How do we know this? Hebrews 1 one through three, says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, 
God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So these prophets in the Old Testament were supposed to be the mouthpiece of God. These prophets were one who God gave his special revelation to, giving them clear commands that then they were supposed to speak the mouthpiece of God. Well, how do we know that they didn't just make something up? How do we actually know that these prophets spoke from God? That's what we're talking about. How can we know what the prophets wrote down is actually from God? Well, God said, hey, you want to know whether it's a true prophet or a false prophet? He says, hey, if a prophet says something that doesn't come true, you can know what? It's, it's a false prophet. Well, guess what? If the prophet says something and it comes to pass in the future, you know that it is true. You can look all throughout the Old Testament prophesying things that are going to take place in the future, saying, hey, there's going to be someone. The Messiah is going to be born a certain location. And the Messiah is going to come and do certain things. And guess what? All of those things came true. How is it possible for someone to predict things so specifically in the future and them to come pass in the future? How is that possible? Only way is if that special revelation given to that person directly from God. Only way for it to be possible. God has spoken directly through the prophets. Verse 2 of Hebrews 1 says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So God's special revelation, so truth that God has revealed directly to specific people, we see that first in Scripture. And then Hebrews 1, 2 tells us it's also through his Son in Jesus Christ. So through Jesus, we have God coming and putting on flesh and God revealing truth specifically about himself. When Jesus came and taught, that is God revealing truth about himself. Hey, this is what you're supposed to do. That's God saying, this is what you need to do. And guess what? All the words of Jesus, where do we, where do we go to look for what, what Jesus did? Go to the Bible. So basically, you can sum up special revelation and say it's found in Scripture. Well, how do we know that these accounts are true? Well, in Second Peter, it says there were eyewitness accounts. They visually saw it. It's the first part we talked about. Second part was there were these predictive prophecies that the prophets to affirm, hey, this is a message from God, said, hey, this is what's going to happen in the future. And guess what happened? Exactly what they said was going to happen. Only way for that to happen is from God. Through scripture, through Christ, God has revealed himself in these many ways. And scripture is superior to our creation, to creation, to providence, to conscience, because it's specific and direct it's far superior. But now as we think about the Bibles that we have, we say, okay, God, okay, sure. God has revealed, we talk about scriptures, God has revealed himself specifically to prophets and apostles. But how do we know what they wrote down was true? How do we know what they actually wrote down that they wrote down the message right? What if they messed it up? Like, what if we were playing a game of telephone and I whispered something to, to Ben here in the front? And then Ben passed along to there, and then passed along, and then we passed it on. If we got all the way over here to Avery, and I said, okay, what was the message? It might sound completely different than, like, what I said to begin with. So how do we know when the prophets were writing down what God revealed to them, that they're writing down the right thing? Let's look back at 2 Peter chapter 1. We talked about how they were eyewitnesses, the biblical authors, Look at verse 19. It says, not only do we have that, we have 
the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Say, hey, the prophetic word, the word of God written by the prophets, the prophets who predicted things that come in the future, that guess what? They took place. It says this prophetic word is more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. You need to listen to it. It's like a lamp shining in a dark place. You need to listen to it until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Basically saying, hey, listen to it until Christ comes again. We're supposed to follow God's word, pay attention to it. Well, why should we pay attention to God's word? Verse 20, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Just, hey, no part of scripture is someone saying, oh, what should I write today? Oh, I guess I should write the Bible today. Oh, yeah, I'm going to write this in the Bible. Wasn't someone just in their own imagination coming up with things to write down? Verse 21 says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, this thing that takes place where men are writing scripture, but it's not their own interpretation, they are carried along by the Holy Spirit. Going to get a little more tricky and a little bit more complicated here. So we've got God has revealed himself. So how do we know that what they wrote down was correct? Point number two, we need to learn how God had his message written down. Okay, God has revealed himself through these prophets, and we know it's true because they said this is going to take place, and guess what? It happened. But how do we know they wrote it down correct? How do we know that, okay, they just messed it up when they were writing it down? How do we know that? Well, verse 21 of 2 Peter 1 says, they didn't just make it up on their own, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's a doctrine that we call the doctrine of inspiration. I know it's a lot to write down, but the doctrine of inspiration, you can write down this definition, says that God uses human authors to pen an exact record of God's revelation. So, doctrine of inspiration says God uses human authors so the biblical authors, to pen, which means to write down, an exact record of God's revelation, what God revealed to these specific biblical authors. Well, how did this happen? Did God, like, whisper in their ear, this is what you should write down. Hey, Paul, this is what you should write down. All right, you ready? You got your pen? Oh, your pen's out of ink. All right, you got, you got, your, got another pen. All right, here we go. And then, okay, and then. Did he do that? Did he do every single word? There's a couple different ideas. One is the one that we just said. It's called the dictation theory, which some people say God gave the exact words to the authors to write down, almost like someone whispering in their ear, like, all right, Moses, here we go. And God said, let there be light. Okay, God said, let there be light. Is that how it happened? Well, at first it's like, okay, that kind of makes sense. If we can trust all the words of scripture, then God told them exactly what to say. Well, the reason why we don't think it's the dictation theory is because if it was God telling every single author exactly every word what to write down, we would say, well, then the Bible would all sound the same. If it was God saying the exact word, every single person, it's like, well, wouldn't that mean that the entire Bible would kind of read the same way? Seems like that would be the case. But when you look at scripture, you see there's all different types of writing styles, all even different languages in how it's written, different authors that know different things with different backgrounds. 
We said 1,500 years of 40 different authors. Those authors aren't all the same. And guess what? They don't write the same either. You've got different genres of literature in the Bible. You've got narrative passages where it's in the Old Testament or the descriptions of explaining Jesus' life. Okay, and then we did this, and then they walked to this town, and then we walked to this town. You've got sections like the Psalms where it's poetry, where it's like, whoa, that looks very different than these narrative writings. You've got prophetic writing saying, hey, this is going to take place in the future. That looks very different than a poem that's written in the Psalms, written by these uh, minor and major prophets. You've got even letters that are written in the New Testament that are written from Paul to different churches. Corinthian church, all these different churches. It's like, well, all these things look different. reason why we don't say, we don't think God was whispering in there the exact words is because there's all these different styles. Yes, they all have a, a, a unifying message and they don't contradict each other, but all this differences in style makes it seem, uh, don't think it's the dictation theory. Well, other people have said, okay, maybe it's not. He gave the exact words. Maybe he gave them like a concept, like, hey, Paul, I want you to write about like love and how it's important and how we should do it. And then Paul came up with his mind, okay, how do, how do I explain this? And then he came up with the words himself. It's called the conceptual theory. Conceptual theory says God gave ideas then the authors explained those ideas in their own words. Like, okay, here's the idea. And then, all right, Moses, you're going to write the idea in your own words. Seems sort of to make sense. It's like, okay, give them the ideas, and then they put their own words. That's why it looks differently. But we don't think that seems to be the case because the Bible talks about how important every word is. How in scripture, every word is important. Proverbs 35 says, every word of God proves true. Every word of God. Well, if it was up to the authors to kind of explain it in their own words, how could we say with confidence that every single word in the Bible is true? That's what Proverbs says. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The people who believe in this conceptual theory believe that the Bible has a bunch of errors in it because it's like, oh, it's not about the specific details of the Bible. It's just about the general concepts that are true. Well, the Bible says every word proves true. Later, it says, do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Well, it seems like the Bible takes every single word very seriously, which shows why we don't think the conceptual theory is true when it comes to inspiration next theory is called the natural theory. And the definition I want you to write down in natural theory is that authors found inspiration from within themselves to write scripture. This might be the one that comes to mind first when we say that the Bible is inspired, that God's word is inspired. You might think, when you think of inspiration, you think of a, like a, a great artist, great artist just drew this painting and it's like, whoa, that's a really nice painting. And the artist is like, oh yeah, I just saw a sunset and I was just so like inspired. It was just, oh, just within me. It was just, oh, it just really hit me. And wow, I was just so inspired to go do it. Or think of like an athlete who it's like, oh, like you did such a great job. Like what, what was motivating you? It's like, oh man, this is just for my cousins. I was just so inspired just within me. It's inspiration within me. And it's something that's within them that then caused them to write this. 
problem with this natural theory is it eliminates God from the conversation altogether. It says it was all something within themselves, and it was not from God. This view says that God didn't write the Bible, but it was just a bunch of smart guys that wrote the Bible. Smart people wrote it down. The other idea that this messes up is the idea of inspiration. This view of inspiration says that the people themselves, the biblical authors, are inspired. Whereas a proper understanding of inspiration is that the words are inspired. That's a key distinction to make, and I want that to be clear in your eyes. It, it's not the authors that are inspired, it's the words that are inspired. How do we know that? 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God. So scripture is the one that comes from God. Is it these authors that are infallible, these authors that, that are perfect, that is, oh, just within me, how I'm feeling, I'm going to write it down. No, it's the words not this warm, fuzzy feeling. No, it, it comes from God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So we say, ah, these, these three theories of how God had his message written down, it, I, I, they seem true in some areas, but they just don't seem to be true. The one that we believe is true and Christians throughout history have affirmed is what's called verbal plenary inspiration. It's a longer definition, and I know there's been a lot of things to write down today, but this is super important. It looks very similar to the definition of inspiration. This is God using the individual personality, the specific language, and the style of the human author to pen an exact record of God's message. This is all done through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit divinely influencing the human author's thoughts to get an exact representation of God's message. Why this is the superior view is because it values every single word, <coughs> every single word in the Bible. It says every word in the Bible is from God. It says not only every single word, the entirety the message that every, all those words together that make up sentences, those sentences that form paragraphs, the meaning that is conveyed, that is also from God and is true. The words individually, the words together, it balances both the human authorship that, yeah, God does use their different personality, he uses their different language that they know, the different styles that they have, while also affirming that those things is not just human authorship, but it's also directly from God. That's why 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. It comes from God. God using human authors to pen an exact record of his message. This is how Moses, through the direct words given to him by God, or prophetically through his experience, can pen and write down the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. This is why Luke, who didn't get direct information and wasn't even an eyewitness through his personal research, was able to write two books of the Bible, and we can affirm, hey, this is directly from God. This is why Matthew and John, through their personal experience and the recollection, can write their two Gospels, and we can say, oh yeah, it was their own individual style, but guess what? Through the oversight of the Holy Spirit, it's divinely written. So if you were to pick like a book of the Bible, for example, you pick Thessalonians, 
First Second Thessalonians. If it's okay, well, who was the author of First Thessalonians? Was it Paul or was it God? Yes. It's tricky. It's complicated. This is deep, profound. This is truths that you don't learn in kids' ministry. That, yeah, it was written by Paul, but guess what? It was authored by God. Both things are true at the same, thing, same time. Well, how is this possible? How can both be true at the same time? How do we know that they didn't they mess it up? These people are imperfect individuals. What if I give you a, a crooked pencil? And I said, hey, this crooked pencil here, I'm going to break this pencil. I need you to draw a straight line. Straight line on a piece of paper. Do you think you could draw a straight line with, with a, a pencil that I broke in half? You're like, you're like yeah, it's still, it's still a pencil. No, but, but I broke it in half. It's broken. It's like, well, you can still draw a straight line with an imperfect tool. God can use imperfect people to write down his perfect word. Yeah, are they imperfect? Absolutely. But guess what? Through the oversight of the Holy Spirit, you can say, hey, this is exactly what God wanted to have written down. Another example of how we can see this is if you think about the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus. Was Jesus perfect? Yes, he was. Well, who was Jesus' mother? Mary. Well, was Mary perfect? No. Well, how could an imperfect person give birth to a perfect person? What? Who was, God's, who was Jesus' father? Was it God or was it Joseph? Whoa. These are like difficult, tricky concepts that we're getting into, but we can see how God, through the birth of Jesus, uses an imperfect person, Mary, but through the Holy Spirit is able to make Jesus is so that Jesus is perfect without sin, so that the stain of Mary's sin does not fall onto Jesus. Same thing with God's word. Through using imperfect authors, God, through the oversight of the Holy Spirit, can make sure that the words that are written down are perfect. Does it make the people perfect? No, it doesn't. But the words that they're written down, we can say we have assurance that they are from God. I know it's difficult. I know it's tricky. That's why there's a book there on the back that I want you to, it's a big book. Maybe you can't buy it. It's a systematic theology. It's like this big. But guess what? There's only written down like 13 pages to read. That'd be a great book if you want to study more about this to get and read those, those verses. Another one that's written, that's a lot shorter, written by Pastor Mike called Why the Bible. So a really small book, why the Bible, why we can trust it. Bible is unique. The Bible is distinct. We can trust the Bible is from God because of, of the way that he's revealed himself to us, creation, conscience, but also revealing specifically to prophets and apostles his specific message. How do we know it's from God? Well, the words that they said would come true. Guess what? They came true and we can trust it. Also, we can see how Jesus himself viewed scripture. Look Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Let's see, how did Jesus view Scripture? Did Jesus view Scripture as if, oh, yeah, this was just some person, some random person writing it down? Or did Jesus view Scripture as if, oh, man, no, this, this is specifically and directly from God? Matthew 5, verse 17 Matthew 5, 17. Jesus says, do not come 
Or do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. So, hey, the Old Testament, which divide up the law, first five books, and the prophets, major, minor prophets. Say, so, hey, I didn't come here to get rid of it, to get rid of the Old Testament. It says, I've not come to abolish it, but to fulfill them. Verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Say, hey, everything that's written in the Old Testament, guess what? It's going to come true. It's going to be accomplished. Did Jesus view scriptures as if it's though from God? Absolutely. said exactly every single word. That's why we value every word. All the words together. John 8, 26, he declares that his message from the Father is from the Father. John 16, verses 12 through 14, we see him affirm that the rest of the New Testament is also from God through the prophets from the Old Testament and the apostles in the New Testament. You see, this, this book is completely different from any other book. Just to run through the points quickly again. First one, we need to understand how God reveals truth to man. We need to understand that. Revelation. Second, we need to learn how God had his message written down. Doctrine of Inspiration. And then third, you need to treat God's word as your authority, as your authority. Because we can believe that the Bible is from God and we can trust it, by nature of him being God, he is our authority. By nature of it being his word, it's the authority in our lives. 2 Peter 1, verse 19 specifically says, we will do well to pay attention to it. Do we do that? Do we pay attention to scripture? Do we listen to it? Or do we not? Psalm 19, 10 says the Bible is more to be desired than gold. Than gold. Sweeter also than honey. How can it say something like that? If the Bible was just any other book out there, it'd be like, okay, cool. More to be desired than gold? No way. There's tons of books out there. What makes this one unique? Because it's from God. We can trust that. We can believe that. So hopefully now you can have a greater defense when someone says, how can you know that the Bible is God's word? Well, the, the Bible says so. It's like, wait, what? That seems kind of like circular. Well, how, do we, how can we believe what the Bible says? Well, there were eyewitnesses' accounts that saw it. The stories of the Bible are rooted in actual history. The prophets who predicted things to take place in the future, guess what? have all come to pass. And how do we know it was written down correct? Because what the Bible says about inspiration, that all scriptures breathed out by God. God made sure to have his message correctly penned. Hopefully we can do a good job now in the future, giving a defense when it's approached to us. There was a bit from a TV show I was watching recently where they go out onto the street and they interview random people. And they will call different people up, and behind them, behind the people, they'll put an entire map of the world on the globe. person going out, interviewing random people on the street. And they've got this map behind them that has a map of all the countries of the world on it. And they ask, it, they ask the people, name a country, name one country on the map. And then, like, one person points to, like, South America and is like, this is... Africa, 
It's like, wait, what? Like, you did not get the card. It's like, name a country. Someone like points to Alaska and like, yeah, this is Greenland. It's like, what in the world? They like ask someone else and they're like, oh yeah, over here, this is, this is Asia. They're like, yeah, we said name a, a country, not a continent. Or they're like, a ton of people were like, oh, Africa. It's like, <laughs> name a country. It's like so basic. Like one person was like, I, I really do not, like, it's been a while since I've been to school. Like, I don't know any countries. And it's like, really? Like, okay, like point, point to the United States. The person like points to Russia on the map. It's like, wow. How can something like so basic and elementary be like forgotten? Like maybe it was in the spur of the moment, just like caught off guard, or like maybe they really didn't know. Something that also is so fundamental and basic to what we believe, elementary, is that the Bible is from God. But oftentimes, if someone asks us why we believe that, we'd be like, hopefully now we can give a better response and know for certainty, yeah, this is from God, and we can give reasons behind it. God's revealed himself, spoken specifically to the prophets and the apostles, been affirmed. Jesus valued and prioritized scripture as being from God. Hopefully now we can give a better response moving forward. Let's pray. God, we praise you that the book that we have isn't just any other book out there, that we can believe it and trust it as the exact words that you want written to us, not only to us, but all people throughout history. This is the message you wanted us to have. Help us to value it. Help us to see it as important. Help us to be in your word daily, even through the Flipgrid groups that we've got set up. Help us to do that daily and treat your word as it needs to be treated. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.